0: This is HPR episode 1732 entitled Renovating Another Public Domain Counterpoint Textbook. It is hosted by John Culp and is about 34 minutes long. The summary is a follow-up to ep 1512. I reflect on what I've learned digitizing to counterpoint textbooks.
1: This episode of HPR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com.
0: John Culp in Lafayette, Louisiana, and I am responding to Ken Fallon's recent call for more episodes. This is something that I had been meaning to do for a while anyway, and wasn't quite ready, but uh, it's really fine. I've got enough to talk about, and uh, I thought I'd go ahead and record and upload an episode. So what I'm going to talk about is um, e-books again. This is sort of a follow-up episode to episode number 1516 which was... what was that entitled? Adopting and Renovating a Public Domain Counterpoint Textbook, I believe, was the title for that. And uh, in that episode, I went over uh, a recent project that I had been working on, which was to take a public domain counterpoint textbook that was published in 1910 and had been scanned and dumped onto archive.org without any kind of correction or anything. To take this book and... Uh, correct the OCR text and also to embed audio players for every musical example. Now the thing about music theory type textbooks is that they have what uh, are called musical examples. They're little bits of musical scores in there with music notation. And these are great. Every music textbook has one. What I've never seen in any music theory textbook is a play button under the musical example. Now, of course, for paper books, this is not possible because it's paper. But even for electronic formats, I've not seen anybody do this before. And so, I I did it. I made an e-book out of this um, book by Percy Gertschis, who was um, an American theory teacher slash composer who lived in the late 19th, and uh, I think he died in around 1943 or something like that. But he published a ton of books not just about theory, but also about music history and stuff like that. A very, very prolific author and a good theorist. And this counterpoint book looked like something I could use in my class. I teach one theory class a year. Mostly I teach music history, but I do have a counterpoint class that I teach every spring. And I decided to try to adopt this public domain counterpoint book so that my students would not have to pay for their textbooks. And, um... At the point when I recorded the episode 1512, I believe I was nearly finished with the book, or had just barely finished it, and there were some issues that I still had to work out. And so this is kind of following up on that, and also talking about a 2nd ebook renovation that I did of another Counterpoint book by the same author. So the issues that I had were uh, a couple with the elementary Counterpoint book, uh, one was that it was a fairly large file size. Whenever you start putting embedded media into an ebook, the file gets large quickly. And this is—I uh, mean, it might or might not be uh, a problem, but I—I I thought for you know best practice, it's probably good to try to reduce the file size as much as possible. Nobody likes bloat. And so uh, one of the things I did. To reduce the file size significantly, was to change the bit rate on all of the MIDI uh, slash aug things. So the way I have to make the musical examples is first I generate a MIDI file from a LilyPond uh, source file. LilyPond is a music notation uh, program, and it can generate MIDI. And so I, I create the LilyPond file and I run a script on that will that will output. A MIDI file which is then converted both to AUG and to MP3. I use AUG and MP3 on the big web page version of the book and then for the EPUB version of the book I cut out all of the AUG because the EPUB does not support that format and it would just be wasted um, space. Um, where was I going with that? Boy, don't you hate that when you lose the thread? Of, oh I remember. So uh, the script that I run on the LilyPond file performs this, you know, it outputs MIDI, and then it also runs these conversions to MP3 and AUG. And what I did was I changed one of the values in the MP3 and AUG conversion part of the script that changed it from 128 um, KB. I don't even know what the bit rate. uh, 128 is like a a standard, fairly high quality MP3 um, sampling rate. And I changed it to 64, so I basically I cut it in half. And uh, the quality was still acceptable. I experimented going all the way down to like 32, and I, I decided 64 was about the right, the like the sweet spot between quality and file size. And when I rebuilt all of the musical examples after changing the bit rate, the file size of the CounterPoint book went down from... I want to say the completed book was about 64 megabytes originally and after I changed the bitrate and ran everything again and rebuilt the book it was all the way down to 26 megabytes and so it made a a huge difference in the file size so that's one thing I did I I changed the bitrate on all of the audio and that helped with the file size now I also wanted a way simply to view the eBook in a web browser without having to use an eBook app And this is because uh, the web browser version actually is the most, um, what's the word? It's not really the most flexible one, but it is mobile friendly in as much as it will reformat to fit small screens. All of the audio players are going to work every time. All of the hyperlinks that are in the text work every time. You can go to the address bar and use uh, anchor tags to jump right to specific chapters, examples, or whatever by directly typing in an address, which is something that you can not do in the ebook format. So I I wanted the HTML version to be uh, there. I'm not going to get rid of it. It's actually my source file. I edit the HTML version and use that as the source for creating all the other ones. But the problem is that the entire book makes for a very, very large web page. It takes kind of a long time to load up because of all of the images, and um, I don't think it automatically loads up the audio files until you click the play button, but there are quite a lot of images, probably 200 images or more, and uh, it took a while to load up, and so I thought, well, I'll probably need a way to Slice this great big file up into a bunch of little ones, like one file for each chapter or something like that. And I never did really find a way to do that automatically. And so I've left the single giant web page as one of the available formats for the book. What I did find though was an embedded ebook reader. That I could put on my website, and people can read the ebook in a browser, but it behaves like an ebook where pages turn and there's a table of contents and all of that stuff. And that actually works pretty well. I'm gonna put a link in the show notes to the project site. It's called Monocle. Monocle is the name of the ebook reader, and it is a JavaScript, uh, you know, a set of JavaScripts, I guess I, is how it would be described. And you put your content in the right place, and you set up a um, what I I don't even know what to call it. I, I'm not really a JavaScript person. I just took one of their templates and entered all of the uh, table of contents information and stuff like that, uh, such that it would work. And it, it's kind of a tedious process, but once it's set up, you don't really have to do anything to it. But it works pretty well. You can go just in a web browser and read it as if it's an ebook. It does require JavaScript, and so people who are sensitive about security and don't really want to run JavaScript probably don't want to use this version of the book. But I think it's actually a pretty good way to see the book. Now, I found that it works best with the Chrome browser, or Chromium, whichever you happen to run, and this goes for not only the desktop... But also, uh, mobile phone. Uh, on my Android phone, if I use the Chrome browser, it works really well with this book. Uh, it actually works better than many of the ebook apps that I tried on the phone. And I'll talk more about um, compatibility with mobile devices here in a little bit. But the Monocle page is it's pretty cool, I think. And I'm, I'm happy with it. That's basically going to be my solution for a web browser um, method of reading the book. One of the things I decided to do uh, toward the end of Elementary Counterpoint, that was the first of the two projects, and then all of the way through the second project, which was Applied Counterpoint. It's another counterpoint textbook by the same author, Percy Gertschis, and it's a much more in-depth and detailed advanced textbook, a terrific book with tons and tons of musical examples and um it's it's awesome a really really great book a pity that it was not available um well actually i I shouldn't say that it is available you can purchase copies of this um applied counterpoint still in like cheap reprints that people have done because it's in public domain they can just grab it and then reprint and sell it if they want to and um so you could you could still get the book, you could download the PDF, but uh, again, PDF is not a good ebook format. It's completely inflexible, and doesn't allow you to take advantage of a lot of the great things that the ebook format offers. And so I decided I would also overhaul Applied Counterpoint, and uh, I decided on this one that I would do instead of creating brand new images out of Lilypond files for all of the musical examples, I would instead take screenshots from the PDF. I started doing this about, uh, I don't know, three-fourths of the way through the Elementary Counterpoint book as well, because it was just taking way too much time to create lily Pond files for all of these things. And it's not... The problem was that each of these musical examples has not only the pitches and the staves and all that. That's actually pretty easy and quick to generate. What's hard is any kind of analytical markup that the textbook author might have done. You know, circling notes, drawing arrows, uh, things like this. Those take a lot of time and crazy amounts of code depending on the complexity of the markup. And so what I decided to do instead was to take screenshots of his original examples and then just generate audio from Lilypond. And this has a couple of benefits. Uh, one of the benefits, of course, is that it's way, way faster. Um, I, I'm able to get through way more examples, way more quickly, and it still looks good. Now, that the appearance of it, I think, is another benefit. You still get the look and feel of the textbook that was published in 1902, or 1910, depending on which one of the books I'm talking about. Uh, there's a there's a different look to the music typesetting back then, and it uh, so although you're looking at an electronic book, you still get the, the kind of the feel of that old paper copy when you see these uh, scanned slash screenshotted examples. And since I uh, was taking just screenshots, all of his analytical markup is already there in every image, so I didn't have to worry about any of that. I could just put in the notes, decide on a tempo and generate my audio files and put the code in there. So that worked really, really well. Um, Another thing I discovered as I was nearing completion of the first book was the command line tools for Caliber. Part of the problem that I was having with uh, the first book and keeping my website updated with the latest edits was that it was extremely tedious for me to generate the eBook formats, in other words, the EPUB and the AZW3 formats from the HTML file, because I was having to import the HTML file into my Caliber application on my desktop machine, and then, uh, like, right-click on it um, to choose to convert it to this format, to that format, and so I was, like, having to do all of this stuff manually, and then copy the ebook file that was generated back over into the right folder and then push it to the website. This is not a good way to maintain a project that has many updates. And so it was quite a revelation to discover the set of command line tools that you can use with Calibre. It's actually, I I think it's all of the the scripts that are run in the background when you click one of those buttons on the desktop application. Uh, A lot of Python scripts, I believe they are. But anyway, I discovered the command line t- tools for Caliber, and uh, once I figured out how to use them, I was able to script the updates of my ebook. And so I, I have a script now called makeebooks.sh. And when I run the makeebooks script, it does several things. It, it takes my source file, which is HTML, and it converts to EPUB format, it converts to azw3 format. It also unpacks the EPUB file and copies all of the generated files from that into a different folder for the monocle embedded ebook reader. And then it will, uh, in a separate part of the script, push all of the appropriate files over to my server. So that with one command, I create all the new versions and push all the files right into place on the server. And man, has this made life easier for always having the latest version of the book available on my website. So uh, the command line tools for Calibre are awesome. Um, I'm going to have a link to the manual page for that. Um, and I'm actually going to... Where did I put it? Uh, here it is. I is. I'm going to put a sample conversion command on the show notes also. And I'll just speak it out briefly here. But the basic... <coughs> The basic ebook conversion command is pretty easy. It's ebook-convert, space, followed by your source file. In this case, I'm putting foobar.html. And then another space, followed by the output file that you want. And Calibre will determine which script to run based on the extension that you give your output file. So in this case, I have ebook-convert, space, foobar.html, space, foobar.epub. So that tells it to take that HTML file and output an EPUB file from it. And then I have a series of command line options. Now to to run it in its most basic way, you don't have to put any options if you don't want to. It will just use all of its defaults. But if you want to change any of the defaults, then you can start adding command line options to it. And so I add the options dash dash output hyphen profile equals tablet then a space then dash dash disable hyphen font hyphen rescaling and I, I did this one because I found that in the EPUB version actually both of the ebook versions my sections of text that were done in a fa- smaller font size In my style sheet, I had said to make it something like 85 or 90% of the main font size. But in every case, uh, Calibre was changing this to 75%, no matter what I put. And I discovered that it was because it was doing something called font rescaling. And so as soon as I disabled the font rescaling, it would use the percentages that I told it to. So I used the disable font rescaling option. I use the smarten punctuation option, which is dash dash smarten dash punctuation, and then I use the left left justification, that's uh, dash dash change dash justification equals left, and then I tell it to preserve the cover aspect ratio, and then I give it a path to the cover image that I want to use, and uh, the hardest part for me to get to work was the table of contents levels, what I wanted to do, especially for the second of the two books, the applied counterpoint book, was to have collapsible table of contents, where on the first level you would have all of the chapters, chapter 1 through 22 in this case, there are 22 chapters, but each chapter is subdivided into different sections, and I wanted at a second level to have the sections listed. And I tried and tried and couldn't get it to work, and finally I figured out how to do it. It's actually not that hard, but I had been trying to save those values in a, um, all of these command line options in one uh, variable in my script. But uh, for some reason, I don't know why, the table of contents options were just not working. But as soon as I took those options out of the variable that held all of the other options, it started working. And so I use the well there are two option two different options having to do with the table of contents there is use auto table of contents that is hyphen hyphen use hyphen auto hyphen t o c and then hyphen hyphen level one hyphen t o c this will set the level one um, table of contents uh, open quote slash slash is that a back or a forward slash i don't know I, I get the naming of these slashes mixed up. It's the slash that's uh, used in web addresses. h colon h1. So that it tells anything that is marked with an h1 tag, make that a level 1 table of contents. And so then I do the same thing, dash dash level 2 dash toc is slash slash h colon h3. And that tells it that anything that's marked with an h3 will be level 2 table of contents. Um, don't ask me why I skipped H2. I don't remember at this point, but I didn't feel like going back and changing it. So uh, I'm going to put that whole command in the um, show notes, so you can take a look if you want to. I've uh, this the script that I use to generate these ebooks is very much specifically for this book, and it's got options that I wouldn't necessarily use for other ebook conversions that I do. But I did make another generic script. That I use for converting Project Gutenberg ebooks into the formats that I want and changing the appearance of the books in the way that I want to by pointing to my own style sheet instead of the original one and then importing the books into my caliber library. All of this stuff can be scripted using their command line tools, and uh, maybe that's something that I should talk about on another show. stuff has to do with the generation and the creation of the books. Now, uh, another big concern, of course, is how are people going to look at this book? And uh, my preferred way of, for people to look at it is on an ebook app that supports audio playback and hyperlinks. The, the two big challenges that my ebooks offer is uh, one, embedded media; they have to be able to play the musical examples. The other is that there are probably more than a thousand hyperlinks in the book. Every time the author mentions, see paragraph 23 for an explanation of this, there is a link that will take you right to paragraph 23 or whatever other place in the book that he talks about. And he does this constantly. He's always referring to different parts of the textbook to go see this uh, where I explain this thing and then go look at this other thing where I explain this other concept. And every time he does that, I link to it. Now, not every ebook app can handle this. Some of them don't display the links at all. Some of them have the links, but if you tap on it, it will go to the wrong place. And so I tested many, many different apps on both the iOS platform and on Android. Basically, the devices I have. I've got an iPad that was provided to me by the university. And so I tested several apps on there. I tested Bluefire, iBooks, the Kobo app, KY Books... Marvin, Neosaur, the Nook app, Overdrive, and Google Play apps. All of those on iOS. And on Android, I tested Aldeco, Bluefire, Cool Reader, Ebook Reader, EPUB Reader for Android, FB Reader, Kobo, Moon Plus Pro Reader, Neosaur, Nook, Overdrive, and Google Play. And uh, if you listen carefully, I think you're going to hear Trumpet Guy... Now, the trumpet professor next door has just arrived and started a lesson, so I'm hoping I can wrap this up before it gets too annoying. So, I tested all of these things, and I'm gonna link to my ebook reader compatibility table I posted on my web server uh, a table that shows all of the various things that you want the app to be able to do, and then color coding and text showing whether it did it or not. Boils down to on the iOS, there were three apps that did everything necessary. iBooks, which is the um, default ebook reader for iOS. iBooks is terrific. Um, it It does the navigation links perfectly. The audio players work. It has an option to go back to your previous location and it respects my styling. So uh, iBooks, I'm very, very happy with it. That's also, it's it's good also that iBooks works so well with it because that way uh, my students who use iPhones or iPads don't have to go find some other app to be able to look at the book. They can just download the book and start reading it. So I was happy with that. The Kobo app also worked pretty well. The links function as pop-ups, kind of like footnotes, but you have the option to click through and go to the location. And it's, it's, it's not ideal, but it's not terrible. The best app, though, was a paid app called Marvin. Marvin only reads EPUB files, and it only reads non-DRM DPUB files. And so you're, you know, if, if you wanted to use Marvin as your only ebook app, you would have to strip DRM off of your books and uh, use it after that. It costs three ninety nine, dollars which is not terrible um but it works probably better than any of the other apps the the links work perfectly the audio works great and besides that one of the things i really like about marvin is that it comes with the open dyslexic font as one of your options for fonts and as somebody who's concerned with accessibility i'm i'm happy to see this so i i highly recommend marvin if you uh, read EPUB files a lot, and if you have an iOS device. On Android, things didn't work as well. The best of all of the apps was one that was simply called eBook Reader. The audio examples worked. The um, links mostly worked. They were sometimes unreliable. Sometimes they would go to the wrong place. Uh, It does respect styling. There's a way to go back to the previous location after you've tapped one of these things to said go see here. Uh, I I really wanted it to be able to go right back where you were. The links were unreliable, and also it did this weird thing, like when you press play on the musical example, sometimes it would turn the page backwards. It would start playing the example, but it would also turn the page, and so uh, you'd have to flip back to the page you were on. So that's not ideal. The Kobo app on Android was not too bad. Um, the paragraph links sometimes were inaccurate, though. Um, let me see. None of the other apps were really very good. Um, sadly, FB Reader does not support audio because otherwise it worked really well. FB Reader I liked because it's very lightweight and also because it is issued under a free license. So I was really hoping that it would work, but it doesn't do the audio examples. It does everything else very well. And uh, I also tried a couple of dedicated ebook readers. I have the Kindle Paperwhite, and it does everything great except no audio. The Kindle AZW3 format does not support embedded media. But otherwise, if all you want to do is read the book, it's awesome. But the the best reading experience, really, is uh, something like the Kindle with the e-ink screen. My kids have Nook colors, so I tried it out on that, and um, the navigation was not very reliable. Navigation on the Kindle was excellent. It, it went everywhere it was supposed to go. Unreliable on the Nook color, and it also did not support the audio players, even though it's uh, basically a tablet. So that was pretty disappointing. Uh, anyway, you can go look at that compatibility chart if you want to. It's kind of interesting. A couple of things I've learned from the whole process... Um, a typesetting thing. Here's a little detail for typesetting nerds. I learned that there are three different types of dashes. One is the hyphen, which is used to connect words together or to break words into two pieces. Then there's the in-dash, the letter N, as in Nancy. In-dash is for showing a range of values. Like, if you say from, from 1 to 10, you would not use a hyphen there, you use an in-dash. And there's, of course, an HTML entity for n dash And there's a Unicode character you can use as well. Then there's the m-dash, which is for a a larger break in thought, like to break up a sentence into two uh, parts. Uh, So that was uh, kind of cool to learn. And I've um, very carefully tried to make sure I have the right kind of dash everywhere in the book. Uh One thing that did not work that I really wish had worked is the embedding of fonts in the ebook formats uh, there I found a great free music font that would have allowed me to use um I bet that trumpet is really loud, and this isn't <laughs> it's so annoying. Uh, I found a great music font that would allow me to use um that font for meter symbols and for all kinds of other musical things. But I just could not get it to embed properly in the ebook formats. It worked fine on my web version, but not on the others. And so I ended up using either very small images of the musical symbols when it had to occur in the text, or I just changed it to some kind of plain text and put it in uh, editorial brackets. Um. I should probably cut this off, but uh, anyway, the, the projects are basically done now. My students really like it. Uh, one of the students told me that she, for the first time ever as a music student, is actually paying attention to the musical examples because uh, she can listen to them right there in the book. So they, they really like it, and of course they like the fact that it's free and that they can read it on their phones and all that. Um, in the future, I might create a companion workbook for Elementary Counterpoint. I'm actually partially begun on that. So taking the various exercise melodies that he's put in the book and formatting them as a workbook where the student can fill in the blank lines underneath the melodies that are given. All right, the trumpet's really getting to me. I'm going to sign off now and leave you with some trumpet playing scales. Bye everybody.